Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. Today, we are going to get perspective. I say this on the podcast all the time that this podcast is about perspective, and sometimes I forget that. I uh, I tend to look at planning and the operations aspect of everything, and what are we going to do when this whole thing is over, and what's the market going to look like, that sometimes I lack perspective. Uh, luckily, today's guest, Chef Hugh Atchison, helps me find my way. If it's perspective that I wanted, well, perspective is what I got. All right, so Hugh Atchison, welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, It is great having you here. And just if you're a listener and you're thinking, Hugh Atchison, that name sounds incredibly familiar. You may know him from Top Chef Masters, may know him from being a judge on Top Chef, or being an Iron Chef on Iron Chef Canada. He is a two-time James Beard award-winning chef and author for his book, A Turn in the South. He has three restaurants currently, uh, Empire State South in Atlanta, 5 and 10, your flagship in Athens, Georgia, by George, uh, in the Candler Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, you also helped found Seed Life Skills. Uh, And you have two daughters. I do, yes. So while I recognize that some of that, you know, in this current state that we're in doesn't matter much, but besides having your daughters, I know every parent, that's their number one accomplishment. What are you most proud of? That was a pretty impressive resume there. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of due diligence over the years and working hard, but I think I'm most proud of being a good employer and, uh, providing and having a social contract with a lot of people where they bring me their professional services and we morph it into what we call restaurants. And, uh, I think, I think at the end of the day, that's a pretty more important feat than a lot of awards and accolades and definitely more important than TV. Well, definitely it it affects a lot of people what you're doing. And I've really interested in seed life skills Sounds like such a, a cool foundation. How did that get started? That started, geez, about almost 10 years ago, uh, about eight years ago, I guess, uh, when my oldest uh, daughter, Beatrice, came home from school and it had her first home economics class, which is, uh, is in the school system is called Family and Consumer Sciences. And they had learned how to make, you know, red velvet cupcakes and uh, from a box and how to wrap you know, using frozen croissant dough around a hot dog or something like that. Which my wife makes every year at Halloween. Yeah. It just, it wasn't very pertinent to really uh, providing nourishment in your life. It wasn't teaching you sort of, uh, you know, skills that you're really going to remember and retain. So I went to the school district and talked to them for a while. And the then head of the school district, the superintendent, a guy named Phil Anu, uh, pointed me in the right direction and asked me to start working on a curriculum. So we... Worked on a curriculum kind of based around the concept of like a Lego set, that if you have 20 blocks 
of technique that you can learn in cooking that you never forget, that then you can always nourish yourself somehow and those around you um, for you know, next very little money. And it's not about making fancy food, but it's about being able to roast a chicken and make a salad dressing from scratch. So if you can take those skill sets that aren't really recipes that are more technique and then you can arrange them in multiple different ways to make and provide for those around you. So I've always thought home economics was meant to prepare people for the most difficult times in their lives, which is kind of 18, 19, 20, when a lot of Americans, uh, these days are, you know, they're having children and they're poverty stricken. And yeah, I just want to get them away from a reliance on happy meals, which don't tend to make many people happy. So I'm assuming some of that is the basis for your new book, how to cook building blocks, a hundred simple recipes for a lifetime of meals. Yeah. So that's, uh, that'll be out in uh, the fall. And yeah, we're really proud of that book. It breaks down into sort of 25 technique core ideas in the first half and then kind of fleshes them out in the second half into more substantial recipes and meals and concepts. And it's meant to be the book that you send your kind of send your kid away to college with, uh, which is very pertinent to me because yesterday my oldest daughter announced that she's going to University of Toronto, which is great. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, it's a lot cheaper. (laughs) <laughs> well, so you're um, a native, you're from Canada. I am, yeah. So what does it mean for your daughter to go to school in Canada? Is there any kind of, do you feel special about them? And obviously you're proud of her. Yeah, I'm immensely proud. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's she's an American citizen, but she'll uh, eventually be dual, uh, which is great. And uh, uh, my family has very deep connection with the, the Canadian university system. My dad was a professor for his and Pretty much his entire life, he's still around, but he's retired. Uh, and then my sister is the uh, is the assistant dean of the the art school at uh, uh, Liberal Arts uh, at Waterloo University. So uh, the, there's a lot of connections to that. And then University of Toronto, my dad went there, and my sister did her PhD there. Another one of my sisters did her undergrad there. So uh, my grandmother went there. So there's just a lot of connections, and that'll be good for me. Yeah, that's amazing. Sounds like education has been a big part of your life. Yeah, I'm an academic brat. (laughs) So I want to kind of pivot. What is a chef who lives in Athens, Georgia, and has restaurants in Georgia doing on a show called Nashville Restaurant Radio? One of the things I'm trying to do is bring perspective out there. So for kind of everybody in the city of Nashville who works in the hospitality industry, this has been a tough time. It's been a challenge, and I'm just trying to let everybody in on what everybody else is doing. And uh, I've been speaking to some pretty amazing Nashville chefs. We've been talking about all facets of this new reality that we live in. And I think people will be interesting to, to interested to hear your perspective from Georgia. So I read an article in Atlanta Magazine where you were interviewed on March the 17th, St. Patrick's Day was exactly one month ago today. You weren't happy. This was a a raw interview right in the middle of everything rapidly changing. And as we've learned, things change by the hour and on the half hour, it seems. We were one month later. Where are you at? You know, I I thought thought that interview was was 
good and telling. And I just kind of spilled the beans on what I was feeling at the time because that day we had shut down Empire State South, AM5 and 10. Uh, the uh, by George was doing just meals for a part or for hotel guests, so it was just uh, it was kind of a letdown that I was sort of breaking the promise that I had made to all of my people that I would always provide so long as they did their their played their roles, and uh, that this was beyond my control was uh, the most heartfelt part of it. When you, and you feel anxiety prone and desperate when it's the causation of something is, is just way beyond your control and nobody saw it really coming. I mean, we, we definitely saw the signs out there that there was something amiss. I remember, and I mentioned this in the article, I I remembered in, I think it was even early February reading an article about restaurants in Shanghai and the fact that they were, you know, Shanghai is 600 miles away from Wuhan, or it's a, like the distance from, you know, a huge amount of distance. And that the restaurants, the Shanghai wasn't really affected at that point in time with a lot of cases. Um, the restaurants were dead. The restaurants had dropped by 95% of their business. And I remember reading that going, uh-oh, uh, <laughs> this is not a good omen. And so when it finally happened um, in that interview, I think it was just, I was still kind of dumbfounded that what we really didn't see coming that, that there is that the restaurant industry was going to be the first phalanx in a war that just got absolutely clobbered and would never, like, is, didn't get up. Um, we were unable to fight this enemy. And when you're unable to fight, you just feel absolutely defeated obviously so sure uh, and you know we're still in a sense of that but you know we've we've I've, I've recommitted to there's a lot of anxiety and worry in the restaurant industry right now about what you know are you going to get a ppp loan and are you going to get be able to get back open as much as i i feel for the people who are really having trouble getting those ppp loans um in a lot of ways, it's just a, a, a supplanting of getting people off the unemployment rolls. I think that if you're smart and can hustle well, that you can you can probably figure it out. That's not my worry is getting reopened. I still think a lot of places will not get reopened, which tears up my, pulls up my heartstrings a lot. And it's very sad and hard. But I think that the next six months uh, after that, after reopening, are really going to be the telling place where we're going to have to pivot to a new business style. And that we have to take this as a constructive opportunity to fix some malaise that was inherent before the epidemic or the pandemic and, and fix some things that we knew the, the writing on the wall and fine dining was there, uh, that we can pivot to something a little more uh, open and more spacious, literally and physically and emotionally. And we can have contactless payment and menu on disposable paper and, you know, just really thinking about sanitation and the ideas. And that's, you know, we should be thinking about all those things anyhow, but I'm still worried about the general consensus of whether we're going to have customers, um, you know, six months after. So, you know, it's, it's a hard business and it's low margin. And when you talk about, you know, five, six, 7% margin, and you're suddenly requiring us to seat half as many people, well, the landlord's not charging me half as much in rent. No, 
you know, that's, that's a terrifying thing. And I, you know, and I need half the amount of people eventually, you know, if that takes hold. So there's just, there'll be a gradual erosion of the business, even if we build up. So it seems like we're building a bit of a sandcastle. So I had this conversation the other day with somebody who's a marketing guy. We talked about what the landscape is going to look like for front of the house when we come back. So let's just fast forward restaurant industry. We're back open. Do you see the need to have as many front of the house staff? And as a restaurant owner, you know, I think on the West coast, they went to being minimum wage for servers. And what we found is a bunch of places just went to a self-serve kiosk kind of model where you didn't need the front of the house staff. People kind of realize that we can just do this ourselves. Do you think that the just the idea of having a server is in real jeopardy. And do you, do you think that as a restaurant owner coming back after this, you can kind of erase a lot of labor and just general issues? I mean, I, I don't want to look upon it that way. Um, This is, this is not a cost saving exercise. This is a pandemic and this is a complete uh, falling down of an industry. I, I don't know where full service is going to land in the next year. I've long seen the sort of what I call, and it's it's not me being demeaning the brand because I think they do a good job, but you know the sweet greenification of American restaurants is is mildly terrifying to the ethos of what I believe in, which is that full service and professionalism and intuition and efficacy and um, smarts and knowledge and studied people and professionals doing full service brings a level of hospitality that no quick service thing can ever, ever provide. Agreed. And it is a, a, a very important paramount reason why people want to go and eat out. You know, though I believe in those things, am I a big fan of three hour meals now? No. Do I believe that you can bring in an hour and 15 minute dining experience, that type of service and generosity and uh, authenticity and transparency and and presentation of knowledge and skill set? Yes, I do think you can do that. Can you do it at a distance way? uh, Or are we going to be ordering from a counter and food delivered by a robot? I don't know. I, I sincerely think you will see some of that. But I hope to see a, a proven path of hygiene and sanitation and distancing that can still assure full service. I don't know about the job market in Atlanta or Athens, but in Nashville, Tennessee, we are exploding. The city, I mean, you've never seen growth like that, maybe Atlanta 10 years ago. Probably were. Was that? I think you should probably put that in the past tense. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. So we were exploding. I mean, everybody's closed now. This is going to bring about a whole new world. But as somebody who works with chefs on a regular basis, if I was to walk into your restaurant and say, what's your biggest issue? You have almost just in a weird world, people would say, people, I can't find enough people. Nashville's hiring. We need people. We don't have line cooks. We need servers. We need dishwashers. We need anybody. And through this, I've been talking about on this podcast, if you're displaced and you're at home 
Do every single thing you can right now. Study wine classes, learn spirits, do you, all these chefs are doing cooking classes right now. What can you do to really come out of this thing like a beautiful butterfly? I've made the reference that this is going into quarantines like a butterfly going into a chrysalis. And in a couple months or whenever this thing ends, people are going to come out and they're either going to be beautiful, these big, beautiful butterflies, or they're going to have, you know, a six inch beard, 20 pounds, and they're going to be like, oh, it's, it's my turn to go get a job now. Well, what are you going to do with it? And I see the market in Nashville as being this, it's going to be condensed. The people that really hone in their skills and come back, I think there's going to be jobs for them. But it's going to be different. The market here is not going to be a, we're hiring, we need people. It's just going to be completely different. What do you see it being in Atlanta? And is it like that at all? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like that across the, the, the entire North America is that unemployment rate's been so low that finding people to work in kitchens who are pedigreed and good and, and smart and knowledgeable and experienced and have a wherewithal to do it, it, it has been a rarity and more difficult. This is going to change that. But, you know, it seems like a bit of an economic vulture argument to say that that's a good thing. Maybe it's good. I just don't want to, uh, I don't want to go there. I mean, unfortunately, that means that millions and millions of people won't have jobs as some of us benefit on the skill sets that are, you know, employable now. And I don't really want to think that way. Look, at the very beginning, before PPP and the CARES Act came into fruition, um, Tom Colicchio, who I talk to a lot, you know, he's in very publicly was saying 75% of restaurants won't come back. Well, CARES Act comes in, he lowers his sort of prognosis and his doomsday scenario. And he says like a third, I think we're easily at a third won't come back. So if you've got 15, 12 to 15 million people working in hospitality and you've got a third of that, you know, four to 5 million people, where are they going to work right now? We need, uh, more than ever, we need a public works program that is not geared at, you know, the creation of a new hospitality genre. It just, it needs to be putting people to work who are smart and, and diligent and hardworking and who were working in kitchens or were working in restaurants and putting them work on, you know, building the next Hoover Dam or, you know, solar panels everywhere or monorails connecting Athens and Atlanta or Nashville and Memphis you know, all these things need to be looked at as a massive public works program. This is a, an economy in a country that's just, we're about to bail out the coal industry again. Um, you know, can we not figure out that, that the writing's been on the wall for something like coal for 20 years? We can do better. We know how to do better, but we fail in investing in the proper things. Hopefully this is a, you know, a chance and a touchstone to do better. Well, I love that perspective. I put out these hypotheticals for you because as much as I don't want to think about it, and I, you know, the doomsday scenario of getting better talent is not a priority by any means right now. I completely agree with you 100%. I know, so that's why I wanted to have you on. I mean, just that mentality to think, what can we do going forward? What are those employees going to be doing? It's something we've got to look to our government for, right? Yes and no. I mean, some sometimes you, if you're playing Little League and have a coach who's just not worthy of your attention, then you're probably going to go and find out how to field the ground ball from shortstop on your own. I don't think, 
as, as a coach, this federal government has really been leading people. Lead, lead, leaders are, to me, I mean, obviously we have many maniacal leaders in history who were pretty successful, but that's not leadership to me. Uh, that's tyranny. And I want to look at leadership as being somebody who's benevolent yet forceful and understanding and empathetic and uh, classless and uh, and believes in, in the heartbeat of something. And I don't really see that. So I think we have to look within ourselves. You know, on plans, I don't think we're going to get a great plan from the government right now. We did successfully apply for PPP. So at least one of the restaurants has, has got funding now for that. So, you know, my job now is to bring back all of my staff onto the payroll and I'm going to atomize them into teams and I'm ascertaining skill sets of each individual person to make teams. One team is going to be, oh, those two people happen to be able to do woodworking. So they're going to make new tabletops at home. Uh, and I'm going to give them supply money and they are on my payroll and they will do that work from their home. I've got another team that's going to break up into social media. I've got another team that's going to break up into hygiene practices. Another one doing deep dive into inventory. Another one doing how do we uh, get a better system going forward on, um, you know, best practices on how we greet customers, et cetera, et cetera. And looking at new contactless payment systems. And so I think we just have to energize and activate our people. And that's what I'm doing on the individual atomized level of one restaurant. Uh, but I think that needs to be done everywhere. You know, at the same time that we're doing all that, the same time that we're navigating through reams of paperwork to make applications, to bail ourselves out and provide jobs um, next month to people still, we are also serving 1,400 meals a week from two restaurants for in-need communities. Wow. And we have been for the last two weeks, and we will continue for two for another six weeks. Uh, those meals are packaged up and delivered in blocks of 250 or 125 or 500 to groups that need them, whether it be uh, immigrant rights communities or whether it be a local church who feeds the homeless or whether it be a local hospital or police precinct or YMCA or public transit drivers um, who are first line responders in this case because they're put in danger delivering people to their jobs every day who possibly could be carrying the virus. So all those people need what is most important right now in this world, in this hectic world, which is not just nutrition, they need nourishment. And nourishment is a level above nutrition. It implies a heartfelt response to something. It is a meal uh, that nourishes your soul. And so that is the message that we're doing. And that's through the Arthur Blank Foundation. Arthur owns, used to own Home Depot and owns the Falcons and Elaine United and a bunch of other stuff. And he's an amazingly benevolent and generous philanthropist and then also through world central kitchen so those people are backing us to do the frontline job that we are more than able to do so my suggestion right now to everybody out there who's in this industry is find some way to help you need to realize that you can help every day if you get up and start a fresh day and do something good for yourself or your community around you and that doesn't mean going into a group scenario and getting, you know, crossing over social distancing boundaries, but it means making a difference. And that's what you got to do. And that's good for your soul. I think when you do stuff like that, it definitely can get you out of the funk, but it's also doing good for your neighbor. And that's community. 
yeah, it, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm doing it because of my community. But yes, definitely, I'm doing it also because it makes me feel good. At the end of the day, to bring smiles to people's faces is why we do hospitality. And whether those smiles are coming from a homeless guy who is totally distraught at this situation um, and hasn't eaten a proper meal in a week, or it's a cop who's really nervous about approaching a new situation and can sit in his car and have a nourishing meal, that means something. Or it's a nurse who just worked a 16-hour shift and their fellow worker passed away yesterday. I mean, this is there's a lot of heartfelt stuff going on right now and a lot of pain. And I can make a difference. And everybody can make a difference. But you have to want to make a difference. You've said... I, I, read an interview that you said food is a relationship with your community and that's from everything that's from your vendors to the people that dine uh, i've been speaking with chefs and i think the overwhelming response i'm getting from chefs is the void i mean we have the people the people that work there obviously there's a main there's a major pain we discussed it earlier just from letting having to tell people i don't have a job for you especially when promises were made yeah but the idea that we all live in a service world, we are people that thrive upon helping other people and creating experiences for not only ourselves, but other people. That's where we find the joy. The people that really love to do this are doing it because they're making memories for others. And that in turn drives us. So I started a hashtag yesterday called replate challenge where I've been talking to all these chefs and they're creating this food. They create this artwork. They've sourced these amazing products and they put it in a to-go box now and it goes home and they don't, they don't get to hear the server come back and say, table 24 loved that dish. They loved the, the scallops or whatever it might've been. I'm asking people when they get home and they get that food to put it on plates and rearrange it so that it was what they imagined the chef would have liked it to put on their plate where take a picture and then put it on Instagram and um, let the chef know that they appreciate their artwork. Is that a crazy idea? No, I think it's good. I mean, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think that nourishment doesn't have to be fancy and chefy. Um, you know, my most prideful moment right now is going to the grocery store a couple of weeks ago and seeing the dried bean aisle totally vacant. Not that it's <laughs> that we don't have any, but it's amazing to me that maybe I sold America short because I didn't think they had the wherewithal, the skill set to, to cook that many dried beans. But I think they're learning and they're trying. And there is a necessity to nutrition and, and a necessity to nourishment right now that is happening. And you see it on social media. You see people trying new things. You see people checking on their neighbors. And sometimes they didn't even know their name. You know, a, a month and a half ago, I I waved at this woman many, many times, and she lives across my street, and she's older, and she walks her little dog, and I see her, and I wave as I'm pulling out of the driveway. But I finally went over, and from a distance, I was like, you okay? And she was like, yeah, I'm doing fine. And I was like, if you ever need anything, I don't know if you know what I do, but I'm a chef, and I can help. And then I went over to my Chinese graduate, graduate student neighbor, and... I offered the same type of thing. I left him a note saying, you know, if you ever need anything, there's tons of water in the garage and there's big uh, gallons of bleach and, you know, whatever you need, you just go and take. And if you need something else, you need me to go to the grocery store, you let me know. I've got systems and I can figure it out. 
you've got to grow your community network and you've got to realize that um, maybe we're all, maybe the audience of the show is mostly in hospitality, but the key to hospitality is it's, it's that outward want to make yourself and those around you happy. And that is a universal thing and should be universal. And if we're going to demand anything out of the citizenship of this country right now, hopefully it's some sort of goodness. And I think we can get there. I think we're seeing it. I think so too. I think we're seeing lots of um, just unique stories of people doing everything they can to help others. And I, I love it. I think that this, the news was dominated by this bipartisan politics and the election and everything has changed. And I've seen more positive news stories and I tend to search those out myself. I, I want to read those. But I've read so many positive stories about people doing the right thing right now. And it kind of gives me faith again, kind of gives me hope. It does. You know, I think that at the same time, it's giving me hope. I'm making a very big, long list of people I will uh, I will hold in, in higher esteem than I ever have who I've seen help my community through this. And then I've got another list of those who uh, they can go to hell. <laughs> I mentioned this about a month ago. So I said, we're going to see when this whole thing comes back, the people who have done the right stuff and the people who haven't. And believe me, people are people are making lists right now. Yep. Yep. You need to. And, you know, it's it's like, OK, so you, you, there, there's some just people who just I didn't think they didn't need the help. I needed a van. So I shot an email to a guy I know who is the manager of the Mercedes Benz dealership. And he's like, sure, pick it up tomorrow. It's free. Have it for two months. I'm like, OK. That was easy. Wow. And I realized that I've got, you know, inroads and connections that are helpful in this time and I can figure things out and I hustle well, but it's like, sometimes you just have to ask and you'd be amazing at the generosity of people uh, in, in times like this to figure it out. At the beginning of this, not at the beginning of it, but when, when stuff really after the closure, maybe around the 20th of March, I kind of put out on social media, just a little hand-drawn note saying, you know, we'll cater in the future if you pay me now. I didn't think much of it, but I kind of fleshed out the idea where it was like, you know, parties of 10 to 30 and it'd be $125 ahead. And myself and one of my chefs, Sam Herndon would go and cook at your house. And it's just the two of you. We'll serve you. We'll cook a lavish five course meal later on when the dust settles. And I thought we'd sell, you know, five or 10 of them. We've sold about 90 of them. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's, it's like uh, a ton of cash that came into us and, uh, and then we've we've set aside and and you know made our people whole and and given them charitable funds and and it's better than gift certificates. Everybody was saying you know sell merch and gift certificates and that's fine. Merch doesn't actually raise that much money unless you're hugely successful with it. And gift certificates are a terrifying notion to me because what I don't want to do is sell fifty thousand dollars in gift certificates and in the first month that we reopen. People just decide, oh, let's go. We bought that gift certificate. Let's go to five and 10 and use it. And that, that's great. That's heartfelt that they did that. I just, I can't, because I would have used that money already, it would be, leave me cash vacant in that month of reopening. So it's just kind of an economic quandary to be in. Um, so this, what the advanced sales of caterings did is um, I'm spacing those, whatever, 90 caterings over, you know, almost a year and a half. So there's really, it's a slow repayment kind of a loan, which is great. And so that works. But again, it's like, I think in hospitality, 
hustling is is a term that sometimes gets poo-pooed as being a negative term. And when I say hustle, I just mean the wherewithal in crisis mode to do good and to take care of my people and think of novel ways of fixing and addressing the issue at hand. It's kind of, I go into an economic triage mode and I figure it out. And that's what we've always had to do in this business. And I just think that we're more keenly aware of that now. So all the hospitality people out there realize you got a hustle game and you got to use it. And it doesn't mean pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. It means just figuring out a new idea that's going to be great and believing in yourself and your ability to do that. I love that. What a, it's a very empowering message you just uh, discussed. And your note, that handwritten note was actually my very first Instagram post for Nashville Restaurant Radio as I saw that on Instagram and I went, that's brilliant. Just wealthy people of Atlanta. Hey, help me out. We had, we had, I had, I had chefs who, I mean, they're like mainstay, huge TV chefs and stuff calling me. They're like, okay, look, plot out this idea. What are you doing? How does this work? And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is good. You know? Um, and so we kind of, we tabulated into a really good system on what the contract looked like, what the deliverable is, uh, how to make it, you know, efficient for, for chefs involved. And we got it out there as a system that they could use. And I think that that helped a lot of people out, whether it was five, 10 or a hundred thousand dollars in advanced catering, they sold it, it helped. And I think that if I can help with the hustle, that's fine. It's all open source. I'll give you whatever you want. Wow. So what's uh, just to recap, I mean, I think that what you're doing is amazing. I follow you on social media. I see kind of what you're out there doing. And I think if you have a core value of do the right thing, you're, you're living that every single day to the best that you possibly can. And the message out there is to stay positive and do something, not only just do something. If it's getting out and washing your car, get out of the house, help somebody. If you see somebody in need, help them do something positive. Use that servant's heart that you have for something good right now, as long as it's not in groups. Yeah. But get out there and help. Anybody can do anything. It doesn't take Hugh Atchison to make a difference. You can do it yourself. Anybody out there. Yeah. Some, somebody was reaching out to me uh, the other day. He's a lawyer in town who I really like. Uh, and he was like, hey, I'm pretty good in the kitchen. Can I help you feed all these people in your kitchen? I was like, eh, not right now. Um, but I was like, let me let me think about some ideas. And I came up with this idea I thought was really interesting. I didn't put it on social media, so you may have seen it. But what if like somebody consolidated as a central block sort of cook, um, who's a, you know an amateur cook, and they assembled the ingredients into 10 bags for one recipe each week. They get out those bags with little specialized to-go containers that can be microwavable, and they get it out to 10 of their friends. So there are 10 cooks now or households cooking in safe and quarantine environments and they're producing 10 meals each of that recipe. Well, then you've got suddenly they freeze them, they put them together, and then it goes out for delivery into some in-need communities. That's the creation of 100 meals by people just doing small amounts of food, like 10 small portions once a week, and you've, you've got something together. You've figured out a way of, 
addressing boredom in your household because you got your kids to help you cook this, you know, manicotti or whatever it is that you're then freezing. And then you can compare how the recipe turned out amongst the households. You gather it together and you take it to the homeless shelter frozen. They put it in their freezer. Nobody cares right now on ag certification. I'm not saying you want to get people sick by transmitting it through the food, but we've known that this virus is not transmitted through food, possibly through through contact surfaces, yes, but you can ensure safety on that if you just follow smart protocols. And I think we're even everybody's getting better at sanitation right now, which is great. But so many people need food. Or maybe it's just like you're feeding, you're finding the elderly people in your community who will not go get out of the house. You know, we've got to realize that right now in Nashville, in Atlanta, in Athens, Georgia, we are seeing people admitted to the hospital, not just for COVID-19, sometimes totally separately from malnutrition and starvation. Mm. That is happening on our watch. I've got kids. I've got like Athens is not a big town. I've got 24 kids in the homeless shelter. Mm. If I've got the ability to help those people, I will. 100%. Got to. And everybody out there, man, I love that idea. Just something small. If you like to cook, if you have any sort of skills, put together small meals, 10 meals that you can give away to people. You talked about your neighbors. I mean, I'm sure they would appreciate that. Hey, here's a, here's a couple of meals. Cook them if you need them. If you don't, like, give them away. If that one block chef guy finds 10 other people, so there are 10 of them, and they do it three times a week, that's 300 meals. It's just exponentialism. It's the idea of taking something simple and small that's totally obtainable and ramping it up. And, and that's totally cool because then you're going to find somebody with a van who's bored. And trust me, I've got 20 guys with vans in Athens who are bored right now and are offering to help. And they go and drop by and those people have left them on the front porch. And that guy cleanly picks them up and the, delivers them where they need to go. En masse. Distribution is done by other people, but the mass distribution is done by that one van. We can do this. This is all dispatching. This is what I've been doing for the last week. I've got spreadsheets of where I'm going in my sprinter van. In an hour and a half, I'm going to a uh, lower income trailer park community that of mostly Hispanics uh, who are really destitute right now. And then I'm going to a uh, Hispanic church. Uh, total delivery of that of today will be 600 meals. But it's just a matter of me reaching out and getting in contact with those people. So you got to find the community activists in your area, call them and say, hey, how can I help? What do you need? So you just touched on a huge demographic of people who really need help right now. Oh, the totally The scary. Hispanic population, the people that are working in the restaurants, they're displaced who might not have the right documentation, but they're not getting stimulus checks, yet they pay taxes, but they're not getting stimulus checks. And that is a very vulnerable section of our population. That is the key thing. They pay taxes. So the argument that people go to me and they say, well, they're getting a free ride in America and they came here illegally. I'm saying, no, they're run under regular payrolls and they pay, pay full taxes and they do not file taxes. So there's trillions of dollars that gets kicked to the government and never gets put back into the hands of those low income taxpayers. So don't come to me with that xenophobic argument because it's wrong. Those people cannot file for unemployment. They are the backbone in a lot of ways of this country. They have made this country and hospitality possible. And in, in so many ways, it's exploitive and wrong. Not in my kitchens. They get paid every penny that they deserve. And uh, they also packed background checks in. We ask for ID and we get them. I don't know if it's real. Usually it is. So that's, you know, it's just such, there's so much xenophobia that we need to just 
go against in this country now more wholeheartedly than ever. Completely agree. People flying Confederate flags in Michigan. People flying what? Well, Confederate flags of those protests in Michigan at the state assembly in Michigan. It's like, what? if you're in Michigan flying a Confederate flag, that has one undertone, which is racism. <laughs> because you are not a son of a Confederate hero up in Detroit. No, that's an interesting, it's an interesting thought for sure. Well, uh, Chef, how familiar are you with, with Nashville? I mean, you come up here for the Food and Wine Festival, right? Yeah, I've been there many, many, many times. Very familiar with it. I've got a lot, a lot of friends who are chefs up there. Philip, uh, Folk, and Rolf and Daughters. Yeah, Philip Kratchik. Yeah, Philip's badass chef. He's an amazing human as well. So they're just uh, there's there's so many restaurants in Nashville that are worthy of just amazing accolades, and they're getting it. It's a just such a growing town. I'm a huge Nashville Predators fan. Yeah, I was going to ask you, being from Canada, if you're a hockey fan. Yeah, I mean, Montreal Canadiens are my first team, but I go and see a lot of uh, Nashville. I'm friends with one of the uh, the owners, and uh, we, we go a lot to the games. And it's it's just amazing. You know, how that town has adopted the sport of hockey, it blows my mind. It makes me so warm inside as a Canadian. It's just like, you, that town is just awesome that way. I am wearing a Fang Fingers shirt right now. There you go. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge hockey fan and more importantly, a Nashville Predators fan. I think that's something that everybody else is hurting on right now, too, is just right now should be playoff time. I know I see a lot of people out there growing beards just in solidarity. Yeah, Predators, NFL, are you a Falcons fan, Titans? No, more of a okay. college football fan and a big MLS fan, Atlanta United Big college basketball fan. We just started our very own MLS team, the Nashville Soccer uh, FC, Nashville SC. Our first game was against Atlanta, and you guys beat us. Thanks for that. Yeah, but we lost our third player that game. So, yeah, it'll be okay. Atlanta's good. You know, it's uh, that's Arthur Blank's team, and, man, he fills up Mercedes-Benz. It's the highest amount of people uh, on average of any MLS team, and it Atlanta's just totally into it. Which, you know, Atlanta was never really into hockey. We had a hockey team for a while with the NHL, and that never really went anywhere. Yep. Um, they went to – they're Winnipeg now. Yeah, they're Winnipeg now. Yep. They're the Jets. So, yeah, but uh, it's – it's yeah, MLS is great. Great stuff. Well, awesome. Do you have anything um, anything else you want to share with the Nashville restaurant community? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that everybody just needs to – you need to be good to yourself right now. And being good to yourself is helping those around you and coming up with good logical plans on how we get out of this. You know, talk to people um, and and be kind to yourself. Stay healthy. That helps. I've told people, I've said, call a friend you haven't talked to in five plus years and just reconnect. Try and do that once every couple days. It's amazing. Yep, it is. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like I could talk to you for just hours and hours. There's so much to get to. And I know right now we're in such an unprecedented time that I really wanted to get your perspective on what's happening. And I feel like, I feel like you've done that. You've, you've been an amazing guest and I just thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Well, thank you. You guys be well up there and let me know if you need anything. We most absolutely same here. You need anything from us? You just say the word. We got it. All good. Thank you, chef. Thank you. So there you have it, Hugh Atchison on Nashville Restaurant Radio. I think you, if anybody out there had any sort of a perception about uh, 
what a big star chef, somebody who's a top chef judge or top chef masters, what this guy is. If that didn't just bring him down to just a everyday guy that just wants to help, I mean, wow. I talked about perspective and his perspective was was just amazing. I just love how he phrased everything and that anybody out there can do anything. What you could be doing right now, if you did get some PPP money, what some opportunities are, I think he outlined that really well. Just a just a great interview. Thank you, Chef Hugh Atchison, for joining us. That meant the world to me and hopefully everybody else out there too. I hope you guys are staying safe. Love you guys. Bye.